Well, let me add my greeting. Uh, Good morning. And Merry Christmas to all of you. I I trust that it will be filled with God's blessings and, and with a lot of love and laughter. Well, the the center aisle was about 80 feet long, so it was hard for me to see the bride's face when she walked through the sanctuary door. But even from that distance, I could tell she was not a happy bride. As she and her father came closer to the chancel area, I realized she was glaring at the groom, and I knew why. See, the groom and the best man had been out bumming around town that day and had lost track of time And with the church full of wedding guests, they arrived at the church 30 minutes after the start of the wedding time. The bride had been beside herself with worry, assuming something terrible had happened. But when she discovered that they were okay and they'd been out having fun, her worry turned to anger. And it's no exaggeration to say that when she walked down that aisle, she was furious. Now, I want to tell you that that's not been typical of the weddings I've performed. Usually, when I've looked down the aisle, I've looked into the faces of brides who were, who were almost angelic in their appearance, obvious joy and hope on their faces, full of excitement over the promises that have been made and the promises that would yet be made. It's as if they were riding on the wings of promises. So what about Mary? Mary of Nazareth, her wedding day was coming. She would soon be a bride too. Remember that Mary and Joseph were betrothed, which is roughly the equivalent of being engaged in our society. There had been promises made. We don't know how much of the promise was made by Mary and Joseph and how much was made by the families because those were days when families were far more involved in and deciding who would marry whom. That means we don't know how much romance had been involved in the relationship between Mary and Joseph, or how much they would have thought of themselves as being in love. But it's clear that both Mary and Joseph were good people. They had a lot to offer to a marriage partner. And since in that setting it was a strong societal expectation that young people would be married, There's little doubt that Mary was feeling excited, feeling the promise of her life with Joseph, excited about the promises that had already been made and the promises that would be made on their wedding day. See, she would have been celebrating the promise of the promises. And for a young woman in first century Palestine, looking forward to her wedding was more exciting than we might imagine. Remember that Mary's life was routine and simple. We know that because that's how life was for a typical girl in first century Galilee. Remember that Mary lived in a small village called Nazareth, a remote village, far away from the centers of power that controlled her world. There was nothing that happened in Nazareth that would have been considered terribly exciting or or momentous. But Mary's wedding day was coming. Also remember that that Mary's life lacked many of the components that bring excitement to our lives. There was no radio or TV. That means no 24-hour news, no exciting videos, no loud pulsing music that sometimes gives rise to dancing, no telephones. Hello? You hear me? No telephones. 
None of those devices permanently attached to our hands that glow in the dark and keep us awake at night. No Facebook, Twitter, or Snapchat, or whatever the latest app is. No internet. No Google searches or Wikipedia. No trains or planes or, or automobiles. Only walking or donkey riding for the few who could afford a donkey. No public libraries filled with books on a wide array of subjects. I mean, Mary's life would have been simple, spelled with capital letters. See, there's a real possibility that entertainment for Mary was listening to the crickets chirp at night. Simple and routine. But her wedding day was coming. Also remember that it's very possible that Mary had never met too many people outside her family and community. Except for possible pilgrimages to Jerusalem, there's a good chance she had never traveled very far from where she had been born. Even her, her knowledge of the world outside her community would have been limited. Mary's life was full of routine simplicity, but her wedding day was coming. She had been blessed by a promise, the promise of being married to Joseph. And it was an amazing blessing, full of anticipation for the future. There's every reason to think that the promise of being married to Joseph was the most important promise of her life. Her wedding day was coming. But then, then something of a cosmic explosion came upon Mary. She was visited by an angel, a messenger from God named Gabriel. And he brought news about Mary's life and future that was shocking, heart-stopping. He came with a promise from God to her. This unexpected promise was that Mary would have a son, an amazing son, a unique son. But wait, Mary was engaged but not married. The time wasn't right for her to receive this promise. In addition, it must have seemed impossible to her on, on, on several levels. And so she ask a question of the angel. How can this be? And we've usually assumed that she was only questioning how she could become pregnant without being married, but I think it was a far bigger question than that. I think it arose out of her disbelief that God would make such a thing happen to someone like her. How could this happen to a young girl from an ordinary family living in an ordinary place in an uneventful time? How could this happen to Mary of Nazareth? And making it seem even more astounding, God's promise was that Mary's child would be amazing. He wouldn't be a long-term local carpenter like Joseph. He might begin that way, but he wouldn't end that way. He wouldn't be like the other children she'd seen running around Nazareth because his future would be different. Gabriel said that Mary's child would be great would be given the throne of David, would reign over the house of Jacob forever, would have a kingdom without end, would be holy, and would be called the Son of God. That means this promise was that Mary's son would have a destiny that included royalty, power, holiness, eternity, and divinity. What a promise. Suddenly, Mary's self-image and sense of destiny were shaken. Suddenly, all her thoughts about herself and her future were exploded in a seismic shift in her world. You see, through this promise, God was wrapping Mary 
into his salvation plan for her and for all people. What a promise. But what would Mary do with this promise? She had to decide whether to receive it or not. Remember, she had already decided to accept the promises that she and Joseph had made. Joseph's promise would lead to a life of being married, of having a family, and becoming an adult in her community. That was a really good promise, full of hope and joy. And the unexpected promise from God would bring complications. Complications of the promises she and Joseph had already made. Because it was built on an untimely pregnancy that would cause pain to Mary and Joseph and both their families. Yet this promise from God described a child that would have a future of, of royalty, power, holiness, eternity, and divinity. This promise was an even greater blessing of joy and hope. So what would Mary do with this promise from God? Her response was simple. Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And later in this chapter, Luke records that during a conversation with Elizabeth, Mary declared that she, she was being blessed by this, that, that God would use it to, to bring abundance to people who had had nothing. And because of Mary's acceptance of God's promise, God wrapped Joseph into the promise too and revealed the nature of Mary's child. Then Mary was blessed by two promises. One very good promise from Joseph and one phenomenally amazing promise from God. And all that raises a question about what we're going to do with the promises made to us. In the course of our lives, there are thousands of promises made to us, and they range from the, the trivial to the monumental. They range from a Madison Avenue promise that if we purchase a certain product, we'll be happy, to a Wall Street promise that if we make certain investments, we'll be secure, to the promise that an associate will fulfill the requirements of a contract, to the promise that a witness will tell the truth in a court of law, to the promise that certain people will be our lifelong friends, to the promise that a marriage partner will be a faithful spouse. Thousands of promises are made to us in the course of our lives, but we must decide what to do with them. How, how do we decide which ones are worthy of becoming the foundation for our lives? Well, may I suggest that there probably are two criteria by which promises should be evaluated, dependability and longevity. How dependable will they be? And how long will they last? Mary had one promise from a human being, and one promise from God. Both were filled with blessings and joys. Both were good. But we need to remember that promises made by human beings so often have those built-in weaknesses of dependability and longevity. I mean, when you think about it, lots and lots of human promises will eventually disappoint because none of us is perfect. Even Andy doesn't give the $20 bill to the people he said he would. <laughs> None of us is perfect. And all of us will eventually die, making it impossible for us to continue fulfilling our promises. 
So what about Joseph? Did he keep all his promises? See, we don't have any reason to think that Joseph was a poor husband, but he was, he was fallible like the rest of us. And I think there must have been times when in Mary's secret thoughts, she, she had a little disappointment about Joseph's attitudes and behaviors. She may have been disappointed sometimes that Joseph didn't clean up the wood chips in his carpentry shop because probably the house and the carpentry shop were one and the same. She may have been disappointed that he didn't take out the trash. She may have been disappointed that he belched loudly after a good meal. Joseph, can't you hear it? She may have been disappointed that he went into town wearing clothing that wasn't matched or presentable. She must have been disappointed at times because Joseph was fallible like the rest of us, and we husbands learn that we don't have the best judgment all the time, right, guys? See, and Joseph would someday not be able to fulfill his promise because death would overtake him. In fact, some Bible students have raised the question about how long Joseph lived. The Gospels record that Joseph was there when Jesus went to Jerusalem at age 12, but later, the Gospels don't mention him. They talk about Mary and her other children. It's caused some to believe that Joseph died at a fairly young age, although he would have been older than Mary. In any event, someday Joseph would die and become unable to fulfill his promise to Mary. You see, human promises have built-in problems with dependability and longevity. But God's promise, God's promise was and is true. We know that Mary gave birth to a son who was given the name of Jesus. And through the message of many witnesses and 2,000 years of Christian experience, we know that Jesus was holy, that he became known as the Son of God, that he rules over an eternal kingdom, including the kingdom of Jacob. We know that God's promise to Mary became reality, that her son had and has divine identity, unlimited authority, and unending sovereignty. What a promise. Paul gave words to, to what happened to Mary's son when he was writing to the Philippians. He said, therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a promise. So what about us? Mary's experience raises the question about our response to the promises made to us, especially our response to God's promise to bring salvation through Jesus to all who receive him. The question is, will that become the center point and foundation of our lives? Or will we build our lives around only human promises? I think on Christmas Eve, we have a pretty good vantage point to, to evaluate both human promises and divine promises. See, many of the Christmas gifts that look so promising won't deliver what they promised. My prediction is, that by tomorrow evening, many of the toys will be laid aside already and seem boring. And that many of the children will be more fascinated with the boxes than the gifts. 
My prediction is that by tomorrow evening, many of us will discover that the great food will make us miserably stuffed. That's just a few hours away. But God's promises are made by the one, by the one who has no limitations, no failures, the one whose promises never end. And so the question is, what are we going to do with God's promise of bringing us a Savior? And by the way, remember that Christmas is only the beginning of God's promise. You see, if tomorrow evening you collapse in your chair and you say to yourself, it's over, let me tell you, it isn't. Easter is coming. Easter's coming when God brings life out of death for his son and for all who receive him. That's the thing about God's promises. They never fail and they never end. God's promises have no expiration date. So whose promises will you make the foundation and center point of your life? Oh, thank God for the example of Mary, who said, here am I, the servant of the Lord. May her words be our words this Christmas season. Please bow with me in prayer. Amazing God, you know the times when promises have been made and broken because you've walked with us through those dark valleys. Help us now to appreciate the human promises that are made and to do our best to fulfill our promises. But above all else, help us to rejoice and receive the promise of the Savior, to make him Lord and master of our lives, redeemer of our souls. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.